Welcome to Tackling the NFL, the only NFL podcast that didn't lose their job because they played Nate Sudfeld over Jalen Hurts. <laughs> I'm Josh Rosenberg. That's Adam Baltax. And I want to give a special shout out to my friend Noah Levine for doing the theme to this podcast that you can now, that I'm sure you just heard. You can listen to his stuff at Noah in the Open, anywhere you get your music. Adam, I really didn't think that we were going to see Doug Peterson fired this week. We're not going to spend too much time on this because it's literally the playoffs, but we had to talk about this. I mean, like, what did you think when you first saw the news that it looked like he was going to be fired? When you when you think of why this happened, you you got to take it back to that last game of the season. That The tanking culture is something that has been very uh, controversial in the NFL. Some teams will openly admit to it, like behind the scenes, and some teams will make it a little bit more discreet. I think that the playing this, well, I think most people think that the starting of Nate Sudfield over Jalen Hurts was probably the clearest example of a team tanking that I've seen in the past 10 years of football. Well, here's what makes it egregious. They didn't start Nate Sudfeld. If they started Nate Sudfeld and they said, ah, Jalen Jalen Hurts' ankle hurts, no one would have batted an eye. Like everyone would be like, okay, sure. It's week 17. Let him rest. Don't, don't risk it. That's fine. He's playing the good Washington football team defense. That's fine. No one would have batted eye. When you have Jalen Hurts play three quarters and it's clearly, even though just for the record, he was not good in that game. Like he was like seven of 20 when he got pulled. But (laughs) the only reason that they were still alive was because of his running ability they provided. And then you pull him for Nate Sudfeld. I I mean, honestly, I don't know if that was a Howie Roseman decision or if that was a Doug Peterson decision. I know that Doug Peterson really likes Nate Sudfeld, which is what makes me think that it was his choice. (laughs) But we went into that game with a report from Adam Schefter that uh, Jeffrey Lurie was not going to fire Doug Peterson. And we came out of that game two weeks later with Doug Peterson fired. You got to think that there's there, there's a reasoning for that. And who knows? Maybe, maybe Doug Peterson said something on the sideline. Maybe uh, he was aware of what he was doing. Or maybe he was just idiotic. And he was so idiotic that he needed to go. Either way, he's no longer the coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. What do you think is going to happen there? God, that's a terrible job opening. <laughs> That is really bad. We're not going to get into that this episode because there's so much to talk about this week. We want to do one more thing. I want to hit on one more thing before we get to the actual playoff games. There were reports that Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston, which if you see what's happened there and like we can get into like the details at another time, there's a good reason for him to want to get out. I mean, if he hadn't signed that extension, he would already, I would say that he's like 90% out. And I think that with that extension signed, there's like a 5% chance that he gets to leave which sucks because that culture is clearly extremely racist. Like it clearly is a disaster there. And I don't really know what his leverage is, but the reason I have to bring this up is because the main report was that there's a possibility of a package of Tua for Deshaun Watson, which would make my year realistically as a Dolphins fan, um, even though I like Tua. Adam, like what, what do you think the chances are that Deshaun Watson moves this offseason? They're slim, but you got to think anything can happen. 2020 was crazy, and we're heading into 2021. Who knows? I think that Deshaun Watson is incredibly undervalued just overall. People don't realize the value that he has because it's been so masked by the horrible atmosphere that he's been placed in in Houston. There's just not a winning environment. And just looking through social media, looking through him and J.J. Watts, like, they they just they look demoralized. They look like they've lost all their excitement in the game, and it's been clear in their press conferences. And I think that 
it really sucks to see someone so good be being a path towards I don't know, not winning. Yeah, a death spiral is really what that organization yeah. is in and has been in. And that's why wins aren't a QB stat, just for the record. Um, <laughs> we will definitely talk about this at some other point. I think that the chances of him actually leave, being able to get out of Houston are extremely, extremely slim. But we are going to talk about the six wildcard games that we had last weekend and then the four more divisional round games that we have this weekend. So we got a lot to go over. So we're going to get right into that. Just a heads up. We have a really awesome guest joining us this episode. Uh, my friend Abby Creighton is going to be joining us to talk about the Bills um, and what it means as a Bills fan to really see them finally succeed, which I'm sure is very exciting. I don't think Adam and I can really relate. <laughs> um, <laughs> but first, we are going to start with something a little bit closer to home for us, because as you know, we both live in the D.C. area. So we're going to start with the Buccaneers-Washington football team game. We're gonna talk, let's talk a little bit about that, Adam. Adam, what did you really notice from that game and what surprised you? Because I have a couple things. Yeah, everyone's talking about, like, all these droughts being ended, like the Browns' first playoff win since 1994, Bills' first win, playoff win since 1995. But the Bucks haven't won a playoff game since 2002. This is a pretty big deal for them, too. So I, I think that the Washington football team, no one expected them to win this game. No one expected the Washington football team to pull out this win. But it was much closer than we had thought it would be. And that is all thanks to Taylor Heineke. What did, what did you think of his performance? I was really impressed. I, I was incredibly impressed. The throws he were making, he was making were really high level throws. It was not, you know, some kind of like dink and duck, bring and take some hill and like run play action like 15 times and then run at the other like 45. It was not that. He was making high level NFL throws that were not being made by any of the other Washington football team quarterbacks this season. That being said, that might have been the single fastest milkshake duck I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally, literally it came out by the end of the game that he was like a racist Trump supporter. That was fast. I was impressed. I think that he's he's a free agent this offseason. I think that it is just really the most realistic option for him to stay in D.C. because they need a quarterback. Uh, he went to JMU, which is in the D.C. area. And I think that they'll want to keep him and see what he turns into. They'll probably give him like some guaranteed money on like a shorter deal. Yeah. And I, and I love that people bring up that he was an XFL quarterback because the thing is, he was on the bench <laughs> for an he didn't XFL start. team. He never started a game. He had no professional football experience coming into this game. And he looked more professional than any Washington football team quarterback has looked in at least three years. Yeah. Uh, speaking of professional, the Washington football team isn't moving on. But a huge part of the reason that the Bucks are is because as we talked about going into the game, it was all going to depend on how Tom Brady performed under pressure uh, against the Washington football team front, because as we know, they've got an incredibly good front four. As it turned out, he did not have to deal with pressure. He was basically untouched for almost that entire game. That Tampa Bay offensive line played incredibly well. It really makes you wonder if anyone's going to be able to get to Tom Brady during these playoffs, because that Washington football team defensive line is as good as any in the league, as we well know. I think that this matchup against the Saints is going to be a huge test, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But I really did think that that was really interesting. And so at the same time, I mean, we didn't necessarily see Brady perform under pressure, which we'll probably need to see at some point in these playoffs for them to win. But we did see an impressive all-around performance from that Bucks team. Yeah. If the Saints want to want to keep the Bucs from winning the game, they have to keep Brady from having that much time. Because 381 passing yards is not acceptable and is not a stat that is going to allow you to win. Um, that's actually the most in his career in a road playoff game. 
and the most in a single playoff game by any Buccaneer quarterback. So, so I think that if the, the key for the Saints holding them, that offense is getting to the quarterback, and it's going to be tough with how well they played against the Washington defensive front. Because Ali Marpet, I've never seen him play that well. He played his best career game, and who knows if they can keep if they can keep Tom Brady some time. That forty three year old might take them to the next round. Yeah. So let's talk about the Bucks Saints now. Bear Saints, really quickly. Nothing interesting happened. <laughs> I did love the Nickelodeon stream. Big that, fan. that was amazing. Highly recommend the Slime Zone. That was awesome. But there was absolutely nothing of value or of consequence to talk about in that game. So we're going to go straight into the Bucks uh, Saints people, game. People were talking about having how how the Saints Bucks game, or sorry, how the how the Saints Bears game was on Nickelodeon. Now we should have the Saints Bucks game on History Channel because we got the two oldest quarterbacks left. Tom Brady, tweet, Tom Brady tweeted like a fake History Channel ad where he like aged. <laughs> Although it was very funny because he gave himself like a full head of hair and he made Drew Brees almost bald. Um, <laughs> look at, if you look at the, if you juxtapose the quarterbacks in the two leagues, we have two 24-year-olds in Lamar and Josh Allen and uh, two 25-year-olds in Baker and Mahomes in the AFC. Meanwhile, in the NFC, you got Rodgers at 37, Brees at 41, Brady at 43, and then Goff just hanging out in the middle of the pack as he always does at 26. And yet his career is closer <laughs> to the end than any of theirs are. Exactly. I, I, I just thought that was interesting. The NFC is going to be a very different style of football. Um, there's going to be a lot less energetic. It's not The quarterbacks aren't going to be outside the pocket running towards the sidelines and completing passes. It's just a different type of football. So I think that'll be an interesting Super Bowl. Speaking of a different type of football. Uh, I think that what we're really going to need to see in this game, and you mentioned the Saints defense, and that's going to be really important. I have a little bit more to say about that uh, in a bit. What I really want to see uh, this week is what we get out of Todd Bowles' defense, because really they were not impressive against the Washington football team. Like Taylor Heineke definitely played well, but they were dominant against the run, but they just couldn't get pressure against what's not a very good Washington football offensive line. Taylor Heineke had some time to make throws that should not have been able to develop uh, if the Bucs had been able to get to him. The secondary is really bad, um, and I think a large part of that is due to scheme, which is why I bring up Todd Bowles. And so for this to work, for them to be able to beat the Saints, I think Todd Bowles needs to adjust his scheme. And I think pretty much every Bucks fan knows that. And as pretty much every Bucks fan knows, he probably isn't going to. He just consistently, he drops people into zones, and then he blitzes a lot. That's really what he does. And what's been happening is that that just makes it way too easy on opposing quarterbacks. If you drop people into zones against Drew Brees, he is absolutely going to shred you i mean he's he is perfectly happy to dink and dunk his way into the underneath throws that those zones that those uh, deep drops are giving teams and so i thought it was really interesting was that uh john ledyard he covers the bucks reputer report tweeted that uh bruce arian said that he thought that the bears did a great job of containing drew Brees, and then in quotes except on the one drive where they played all that zone coverage Look, I don't know how much control Bruce Arians has over the defense, but he clearly recognizes that they need to be playing some more man if they want to beat the Saints. And if Todd Bowles is willing to adjust and do that, they're going to have a chance. They can actually stop Drew Brees because there's no explosive plays in that Saints offense. But if they don't do that, they're not going to stop him. They're going to lose that game. It's pretty much that simple. Yeah. And and a zone especially won't help. And we saw we saw against the Bears, actually. The Saints were using guys like Deontay Harris, Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders in the slot a lot. They were probably, I would say, a majority of their throws were slants or crossing routes across the middle. And those just tend to be zone killers. And if we have a 
a Bucks defense that comes out preparing for that, maybe they won't have another 38 to three loss to the Saints like they had earlier in the season. But it, it, it's tough to balance when you got a guy like Alvin Kamara in the backfield. I don't know. It'll be a nice test to see Tom Bowles' strength, but he hasn't shown them much recently. Well, here's the thing. You actually have one of the few people in the league that can keep up with Alvin Kamara in Devin White, who should be back, who should be, who's back for this game, actually. He's already back practicing. They reactivated him from the COVID list. That's huge. He can actually keep up with Alvin Kamara, and I think that that's going to be really important. What they are going to need to do is they're going to need to, I think they're going to need to use a lot more press uh, man coverage because that's really what their corners specialize in, especially Carlton Davis. Like Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean are not really all that good at dropping into zones. I mean, they've looked worse and worse as the season has gone along as they've used more and more zone and less press man. I think that they match up well against Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders if they get the chance to to do what they specialize in. And then also having Devin White back will be important because the Saints offensive line is very, very good, but their weaknesses on the inside because their tackles are... Both their tackles could realistically have been all pros this year. So Devin White is going to be really important because they use him so much in the pass rush, um, blitzing up the middle. So him attacking Cesar Ruiz, Andres Pete, like those interior offensive linemen, I'm not even sure who the Saints center is. That's going to be so important in this game. And getting pressure on Drew Brees, forcing him to get the ball out quickly, and then giving their cornerbacks chances to make plays on the ball if they're if they're in tighter coverage because we know how aggressive Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis are and how much they like to try to bite and uh, jump routes. Yeah, and Eric McCoy has actually been pretty good this season. At the yeah. same oh, time. he's a great center. Sorry, I've totally forgot his name, but that is absolutely true. I think that this game will probably be one at the line. I think that if the Saints can produce pressure, we've seen them. They beat them 38, basically 38-0 with a late field goal by Ryan Suckup earlier in the season just because of the constant pressure on Tom Brady. And if they can win at the defensive line, then they'll win the game. And if their offensive line can give can give Breeze some time at the same time, the Bucks defense hasn't shown that they can stop the pass. And who knows? I think it'll be a, a, a one-way game if they win at the line. Yeah. What you're not going to see in this game is a lot of running, I don't think, because the Bucks are impossible to run on. Uh, in two games against them this year, Alvin Kamara ran for 56 total yards. You just really can't run on Dynamic Kung Sioux and company. Like that defensive line is realistically already top five against the run. And then you add in Levante David and Devin White, and it's just really unfair. Washington football team running backs averaged two and a half, two and a quarter yards per carry. Absolutely nothing. They couldn't get anything going. Which just makes Taylor Heineke's performance even more impressive. Oh, absolutely. He had, I think he had the most rushing yards for the team. (laughs) Yep. So that's why I said running back specifically, because he got those on scrambles. And the Bucs aren't actually all that good at running the ball either, because their schemes are really basic and, they're just, yeah, they're not all that impressive at running the ball. So, and they just this, don't do it. <laughs> and they don't do it. Agreed. Yes. So, this game's going to be one in the air, I think, realistically. And I think that, yeah, it's really going to be a battle of which team can adapt better. And if the Bucks do end up pressing up, I'm going to be really curious to see whether Drew Brees can punish them down the field. I think my bold prediction for this game is that it's going to be one sided. I think we're not going to have a close game. Either the Saints defense destroys Brady and the Saints have another 38 to three game or Brady's offense clicks and the Saints can't do anything to stop them. And their offense isn't good enough to bring them back into the game. Yeah, I could see that. I think the Saints are winning this game. I think the Bucks are really good. And I think that they're a better team than they were either of the last two times they played, um, especially week one, that week one game has absolutely nothing to do with what the teams are like now, given that it was Brady's first game in the Arians offense and everything in sports. There's just teams that have your number. 
that really you just don't match up well against. And I think that the Saints are one of those teams for the Bucs, especially this version of the Bucs. And I don't see them winning this game. Again, they have all the talent in the world. If they did win, I, w- I wouldn't be that surprised. Like, they're a very, very talented team. They need to do to win this game very different things that they have done at any other point in the season. And that's what would surprise me. And then and then Breeze can retire saying that he has a 6-2 and two record against Brady. That, that's, a, that's a good stat to have. That's very impressive. I actually didn't realize his record was that good. Let's move on because I think we did, got a good amount on that game, and I do think it's I do think it's going to be a great game. All the games this weekend I think are all really good. But let's go to the Ravens Titans game so we can talk a little bit about the Ravens Bills matchup. Let's start with Ravens Titans. Adam, what was the main thing you noticed in this game? So yeah, uh, Lamar Jackson finally has a win. <laughs> uh, sorry, <laughs> Lamar Jackson finally has a playoff win. And now everyone who, who is spamming the comments on every social media platform saying Lamar Jackson is an RB, never won in the playoffs. Lamar Jackson running back. Lamar Jackson, he's still a running back. I, just stop. It, it, it's, never been, it's never been good. It's just been annoying. And now he finally has a playoff win by, under his belt. Uh, and, and a comeback one at that to show off to the haters. And it was a nice rewarding experience to see him finally get that win. And I'm happy for him. Lamar at his best is just a very different beast than any other person in the league because they did, uh, I think, a quarterback uh, win back run uh, where they had Gus Edwards fake uh, a run. Then he was the lead blocker for Lamar. That wasn't even the touchdown run, but he got like 20 yards out of it. And on that play and on the touchdown run, what you really see is that Lamar's speed is just so different from any other player really on the field that he just takes what should be a good pursuit angle and should be pushing you out of bounds to the 20 and completely erases that angle and you end up three yards behind him and you never catch him. If he gets in the open field, he is the single most dangerous player in the NFL. You just cannot stop him. Yeah. The middle of the field pretty much opened up once for him and he took that and he turned it into a 50-yard touchdown run. Like, that is yeah. how dangerous he is. And and to prove that, we we even we even can see this stuff coming because last, last podcast, we even said, I guarantee Lamar Jackson will have a 40-yard touchdown run to this game. And I'm not even surprised that we were right. Yeah, he, he has one, like, every week. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe not every week. Mostly just because, as amazing as Lamar is, there's limits. <laughs> this game was really interesting, mostly because I think of what the Ravens' defense did. For a team that's been torched by Derrick Henry each of the past two times they played, they really took it to the Titans' offensive line and to Derrick Henry. Their defensive line just absolutely shut down the Titans' outside zone runs. They were so gap sound, and they were constantly penetrating just way too much for the Titans to be able to get anything going on the ground. The Titans averaged negative 0.22 EPA per rush, and the Ravens had eight or more men in the box on 72% of Derrick Henry's rush attempts, according to next-gen stats. They were ready for him. They built their entire game plan around stopping Derrick Henry, and they said, you know what? If Ryan Tannehill is going to beat us, He's going to beat us by throwing the ball. He's going to beat us in the air. And we're going to say, all right, AJ Brown's really good. We got Marlon Humphrey on the other side. We're going to let him go to work. We'll see what happens. We'll take our chances on that matchup. Yeah. I, I think that that was very impressive. And I don't even know if it was as much the game plan or as it was just having everyone back finally. Because it was Brandon Williams, Clays Campbell, Derek Wolf, Matt Judon, Pernell McPhee. Everyone was in on Derek Henry. And the huge part about stopping him is getting to him before he can start building that acceleration, getting that head of steam. And if you can stop him there, then he's not going to have a good game. We saw him get 40 yards on 18 carries, which is so unprecedented for him. And I think that that's just 
that what you need to do to stop Derrick Henry, and we saw it work. And putting the ball in Tannehill's hands and trusting your corners was the perfect game plan, and John Harbaugh earned that win. Well, John Harbaugh may have earned that win, but Mike Vrabel cost the Titans oh, that win. Yeah. <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna say it? <laughs> yeah, well, we all know the fourth and one punt was an absolute coward's move, but that wasn't the only one. They had another one earlier in the game. I think it might have been second quarter, maybe uh, early third quarter, where they were near midfield, where they had like a fourth and two, and they chose to punt. Like those two plays in combination, I can't say that they would have won the game if they'd gone for it, but I can say for sure that those two plays definitely contributed to them losing the game and did cost them the game. And it's really embarrassing for a coach who said that he would cut off his own dick to win the Super Bowl. Yep. (laughs) Who said that to then absolutely refuse to go out on any sort of limb. Absolutely no risk tolerance. And Maybe he did it last time, and then then now he lost all of his balls. It's just, you know that your defense isn't good. And honestly, the Titans' defense was much better in that game than I think that anybody expected that they would be. At the same time, you know that your defense isn't good. You know you're playing Lamar Jackson, who's finally playing well. How do you justify putting the ball back in his hands? The field position game just no longer matters to the same extent that it might have earlier in NFL history. Now what matters is ball possession, not field position. And that that's really all that matters. And if you have the chance at extending a possession, especially at midfield, you have to take it if you're going to win. And the best coaches, including John Harbaugh, take those fourth down chances every time. And you understand that it might not work, but it's so important to put your team in the best position to win. Yeah, I thought it was a beautifully coached game. I thought John Harbaugh did a great job. He now has eight career road wins in the playoffs, most of any coach all time. And I think that's well-deserved. He's he's shown time and time again, he can build together a Ravens defense that can hold superstar offenses to 13 points. And it'll be a a great matchup against the Bills next week. Here's my question. Before we talk about the Bills, and we're going to bring in Abby to do that, are you concerned about how much trouble the Ravens' offensive line had with the Titans' pass rush. Because the Titans' pass rush has been awful this entire year. I mean, we talked about it uh, as a reason for why they would lose really any playoff game. We didn't even care who they were playing. And still, in this game, Lamar Jackson was pressured on more than 30% of his dropbacks. He was sacked five times. Does that concern you for the Ravens leading up into this next week's game? I mean, yeah, it it has to concern you. Uh, The Bills, while they don't have a great pass rush, have a better one than the Titans, or at least have seen like they had a better one than the Titans this year. And honestly, I'm not too worried about pressure on Lamar Jackson just because it's Lamar Jackson and he kind of deals with that stuff. <laughs> but at the same time, it's nice to give him some time. It's not like his receivers are getting open for him. But if, if you're giving him some time, then maybe he'll, he'll get some more first downs on the pass. But for now, I think you just got to rely on his legs. And that's what they've been doing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when your receivers can't separate downfield to save their lives, like there's very limited options that you have. Honestly, and a lot, <laughs> maybe the pressure helps. That That is true. But a lot of those sacks or a lot of those sacks were coverage sacks. Like they were created by the receivers not getting open downfield, which happens when one of your top receivers is how old is Des Bryant now? Like whatever's, <laughs> whatever's left of him. Um, and then yeah. like Marquise Brown and whoever else. I think that that is going to be something really interesting to talk about. I want to talk about how that matches up against the Bills. But first, let's bring in our guest. And now we welcome in Abby Creighton to tackling the NFL. Abby's a Bills fan. And Abby, I really want to know, what does it feel like to have your team succeed in the playoffs? Because seriously, my only memory of like rooting for the Dolphins in the playoffs was in 2008 when they got absolutely destroyed by the Ravens. And then like in Adam Gase's, <laughs> Adam Gase's first year as our head coach, um, when we made the playoffs as on a fluke and we got destroyed in the first round. 
how does it feel to have a team that's actually good and actually succeeding in the playoffs? First of all, it's dope. Like, I'm just going to start with that. Um, We've been so bad for so long, and especially after that, like, heartbreaking loss last year when we blew that huge lead against the Texans, it's nice to finally have that success. I think the biggest thing for me is my dad has been a really big Bills fan for forever, and so just watching him during that game, he went through everything. He went through the five stages of, like, denial, grief, all of it. He really thought we were going to lose at the end, but when the Bills pulled through – it was just really nice and it made the rest of our day so much better. I, I'm not going to lie, near that end, we did not have the best reputation with the Hail Marys. So I can't say that I was super confident that it was going to end the way it was, especially after that fumble that was a fumble that the refs absolutely made horrible call. But it feels great. Like, as you can see, I'm just smiling. I, I don't really have the words to describe it. It's just after so long, seeing them succeed and seeing them have the quarterback of the future. It's it's so, so nice. Yeah. Uh, Bill's Mafia has, has the best fans in sports. So I think that this is, just, this is pretty <laughs> deserving. Uh, listen, Josh, when 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 Josh Allen's grandma died. They donated like I know. <laughs> so, a record amount of money to that. To that, uh, when Andy Dalton got them into the playoffs, they went and helped him out. Uh, they're crazy. They're definitely crazy, but they are nice people. So I, I, oh, I think everyone likes the Bills. That's that's fair. I think everyone likes Josh Allen. I think that like their fans are fucking nuts. Like they're absolutely insane, but they are good people. They absolutely do good things, but they're crazy. I gotta say, I, I think that. At the end of last year's postseason, when they lost to the Texans, I was at the acceptance stage where Josh Allen isn't a good quarterback, and he's completely proven me wrong. But I was rooting for the Colts this past weekend just a little bit. I, it was pretty, I was pretty even. But to be fair, Abby, you have to give me this: the Dolphins got eliminated from the playoffs because they got absolutely worn <laughs> out by the Bills. So that that hurt a little bit. Uh, so I was rooting for the Colts. But as soon as Pascal fumbled, and then they gave it back to the Colts for no reason because he clearly fumbled. Absolutely, all don't lie. They were the Bills were winning that game. They had to. Adam, do you have any questions? Well, yeah. So, the, so there were some big fumbles that game. Uh, not only the the Zach Pascoe fumble, but also the one that Josh Allen had earlier that was recovered by Daryl Williams. Wait, wait that is, is Daryl Williams, right? Yeah. At the at the fifty yard line, that changed the game. If they didn't get that back, that would have been a, a a high score. Towards the end of that game, you see the Colts coming down. They throw that ball at the hail mary. What are you thinking at that moment? Do you, do you think that another DeAndre Hopkins moment is about to happen? Do you think that the game is, is over? Yeah, for sure. I really thought I thought that was going to be it. And it was that pass or the fumble that you were talking about with Josh Allen, like that killed the spirits in my household. What we call it is Super Josh when he thinks that he needs to save the game. So he tries to make these big plays that often end in a fumble, a sack or an interception. And uh, once that happened, like spirits just dropped because it was all up to our defense. And as you guys know, in past years, the defense (laughs) has definitely been the strength of the bills, but this year the offense showed up and the defense hasn't played as well. So leaving it up to that defense on that final pass of the game where you knew they were going for the Hail Mary was absolutely terrifying. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, like I'm the positive one in my house when it comes to the games <laughs> and I thought it was over. I'm stealing Super Josh for myself. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, we've talked about it earlier. I think I called it like blackout Josh, where he just like 
he, yeah, like he thinks he has to go into Superman mode um, when he's throwing the ball into double coverage to a fullback, which he did last year in the playoffs. I mean, that was absolutely insane. This year, he's really, I think, over the second half of the year, he's actually gotten that under control because over the first half, he was absolutely blacking out once or twice a game and making some ridiculous play, which half the time went poorly, sometimes went well. But let, let's talk a little bit about the Bills-Ravens game because I think that, Adam, you and I both think that this is definitely going to be the best game of the weekend. Abby, I'm sure you're thrilled for it. Um, I think that it's the most competitive matchup for sure, right, Adam? So, yeah, I think that this game will probably be the best game of the playoffs if the Ravens win and the second best game of the playoffs if the Bills win. Because if the Bills win, that means that they're going to go play the Chiefs and that'll be the best game of the playoffs. But I don't think that the Ravens-Chiefs will be that entertaining. So I think it'll be a, a crazy game and probably pretty high scoring with both of their defenses going against some really good offenses. So who knows? Yeah, I, I got to ask. And so I want to hear both of your opinions because what the Bills were clearly trying to do in this game against the Colts was they were trying to stop the run. They held Jonathan Taylor to 3.7 yards per carry. And they did a really good job, actually. Like, they basically forced the Colts to pass to win. And they did it just to an extent, but they just had too many negative plays uh, that ended up costing them. But the Ravens are clearly going to be trying to run the ball to win. We know this. I mean, that's been their entire game plan all year. Their offensive line isn't good enough to have Lamar actually drop back and pass. All right, let's start with you, Abby. How do you feel about the Bills' chances of actually containing the Ravens' front game? Like, even just as a fan, like, is this like a gut level? Like, you think it isn't going to happen? Or do you actually feel good about it? So I was actually talking to my brother about this earlier, and he completely disagrees with what I'm about to say, but I think that their run game is mostly Lamar. He thinks they have some good running backs. I don't really agree with that. And sorry if you hear in the background, those are my dogs, but I think that Lamar's style of running, he won't run right up the gut, like through the defensive line. He'll find a hole in the defense that he'll try to run through and I think that Milano and Tremaine Edmonds are really gonna have to step up because they've had some really good games and I think they're the two players and Jordan Poyer when he blitzes they're gonna be able to stop the Lamar run at its best so I think if Milano Poyer and um, Tremaine step up I think we should be able to contain him but Tremaine is very on and off Milano is coming off of an injury Jordan Poyer is perfect though so not worried about him but <laughs> I slightly prefer Micah Hyde, but just as a person, I preference. prefer him too. I prefer him too, but Jordan's just played better this season. Agreed. Adam, what do you think? Well, yeah, I, I think that if the bills want to win this game, they're going to have to stop the run at least once. And that is going to be a tough task against probably the best rushing defense that I, I'm sorry, the best rushing attack that I've seen in like five to 10 years. They had like what 400 rushing yards the other day, the other week. Uh, it's really about stopping Lamar. And we saw with their offensive line last game that they weren't holding up against a very bad Titans defensive line. We talked about this earlier. But if they can give Lamar some time, I think he's just going to shred through Milano, Teron Johnson, Tremaine Edmonds. And I don't think it'll be a very good-looking defense for for the Bills. But I, I think that their offense will, will help them out. Yeah. Abby, I think they both you and your brother are right. I think that the way that the Ravens use their run game, they use they use Lamar Jackson as a threat to keep defenses from actually keying in on their running backs. And so that stops them from actually being able to clog up the middle of the field. But what they've been really successful at doing is running to the outside, which I think is really going to be critical in this game because the Bills were really successful shutting uh, Jonathan Taylor down up the middle. He really couldn't get anything going there. The safeties were making big plays and the defensive line was just stepping up. But on the outside, they definitely had more trouble. And the Colts didn't bounce as many runs to the outside as I think that they probably should have. But I think the Ravens are definitely going to be trying to be running off tackle a lot more. And that's something for the Bills to be worried about. 
But I think you're right, Adam. It is probably going to be a shootout for either team. Yeah, for this I, I don't think I don't think the Bills can stop the the Ravens' run, and I don't think the Ravens can stop the Bills' pass. So it'll just be an offensive battle. Yeah, I also think it's interesting how the Titans or they put up barely any points against the Titans, who have one of like the worst defenses in the league. So I'm hoping that we figure out whatever the Titans do and just emulate it and do it better, because I think Josh's main issue with this first game like you could tell he was definitely nervous which is why he made that fumble which is that this is such a big roadblock to overcome like 25 years not winning a playoff game but hopefully since now they overcame that I hope he really settles into himself like he did in the second half yeah that's a great point and I want to do one more defensive thing before you switch to offense because as you mentioned he really settled in the second half and what the Colts did against the Bills in the first half was that they disguised a lot of coverages and then shifted a uh, post snap to cover two just really consistently over the course of the first half. And they got Josh Allen with that quite a bit. He wasn't trusting what he was seeing essentially. And so that's why they were much less efficient offensively in the first half. And then I think he did some film study at halftime. He was watching, he was, I don't know, he was looking at those surfaces or whatever. And he identified what was going on. And I mean, the Colts pretty much only play cover two. So once he figured out that they were doing that, it was pretty easy. And he diced them up. Adam, I want to know, do you think that it's a viable strategy for success for the Ravens to try to disguise coverages? And do you think that they're going to try to do it? Because Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator, is known for exotic blitzes, not exotic coverages. Yeah, I think they'll definitely implement some of that. But I think what they're, what they're going to really focus on is getting pressure around the side. What we saw in the game against the Colts this week is that Josh Allen runs laterally so well and invents plays on the go. And no matter what coverage you have, when you've got people... Uh, running routes and then just jolting to the sideline and getting wide open 30 yards on the field. There's not much you can do about that. And if Josh Allen can, he can find that Gabriel Davis to Fawn Diggs on the sideline, whether it's a catch or not, it's there. And it's really just, can you get to the outside of Josh Allen and force him to make throws in the pocket, which I'd be worried about on the Ravens defense. I totally agree. Abby, is Stephon Diggs the best receiver in the league? Two, is he going to be able to beat Marlon Humphrey, who played really well uh, beyond the first drive against A.J. Davis? Because he'll probably be a man coverage against AJ him. Brown. A.J. Or Brown. A.J. Brown. Sorry, I mixed that <laughs> up. Uh, he, he was playing against A.J. Brown, and he did a pretty good job uh, against him in pretty much every drive except for the first. Yes, and yes. Um, I don't think Stephon Diggs really has a trouble catching passes when he's in one-on-one coverage. I think in order to get to him, you really have to do a two-on-one coverage. And so I really don't think he'll have a problem with that. Also, fun story, my cousin met him a couple of years ago before he became famous. He just was practicing at her school. That's completely unrelated, but I thought I would throw that in. But yeah, I think he's definitely best receiver in the league. And I think Buffalo was really good for him because having a quarterback like Josh Allen compared to Kirk Cousins has really allowed him to be a leader on the team, which like, I think he completely changed the dynamic of the team. Having a player like him made the entire team step up. So that combined with his actual receiving skills and his route running skills, such a good route runner. But I think those all combined make him the best receiver in the league by far. In the words of Justin Jefferson, fuck Kirk. <laughs> like he has to be very happy to be in Buffalo. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that it definitely is a perfect fit. Adam, what were you going to say? Oh, I, I just don't think that uh, Stefan Diggs is going to be that much of a factor this game, at least. When you have someone as good as Marlon Humphrey uh, covering Stephon Diggs in the in the one-on-one coverage, even even if he's he's locked down, you're getting corners like Anthony Averett, who's their slot corner against Cole Beasley, and then you have 
uh, Gabe Davis and uh, Isaiah McKenzie, who's going to be wide open. They just have so many options. No, John Brown's probably going to get locked up by Marcus Peters. Good point. The just having that depth at wide receiver is going to be so huge, and I don't think that the Ravens will stop that passing attack. Yeah, I think that to free up Stephon Diggs a little bit because Marlon Humphrey is really physical. If they put him on the boundary, it's going to be tough for I think for Stephon Diggs. I think that we might see him in the slot a lot in this game, which just gives him more room to operate with. Um, but yes, I think that he's gonna he's gonna get his he's gonna get his touches. I mean, like he's just he's too good to be stopped, as you said, Abby. Abby, I don't want to keep you for too long, but I, I, I want no to know worries. two things. I want to know two things. One, can the Bills stop Lamar Jackson? Like, is there a world where Lamar looks like first half Lamar, rather like first half of the season Lamar, rather than how he has when the Ravens finally got their uh, offensive line working and their running game working again? Yeah, I think so. Um, our defense is really good at stepping up when they need to, which was kind of shown by that fumble play. That wasn't called a fumble, but it should have been. I also think Leslie Frazier calls a really good game. And I think that the Ravens offense is pretty predictable in the sense where they do a lot of running and they only pass when they need to. So I think Leslie Frazier, if he just steps up, calls what he needs to call and the players all play well, especially the linebackers and the safeties when they come up for the safety blitzes, which I imagine they're going to be doing a lot. I do not think... Or I don't want to jinx anything, but I think they'll be able to handle it. Having Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott scheming up for you is definitely a big advantage. And that matchup between them and Greg Roman is going to be really fun. Uh, Adam, I want to know, I think that what we're going to see a lot of in this game from the Ravens is a lot of play action because, yeah, those linebackers and the safeties are going to be moving up a lot because they want to be attacking downfield. They want to be getting, they want to be hitting the gaps in their run game. So if they can be using play action, um, and get, especially given how dynamic Lamar is in such a threat in the run game, that linebackers need to respect it even more. Do you think that play action is going to be what helps decide this game? Because their receivers are not that good at separating. I don't know if it's going to help decide the game, but it's definitely going to be an important factor if the if the Ravens want to get some separation, especially because of how poor their offensive line played against a shockingly awful Titans defensive line. So I think that Lamar is going to need to do that in some of his uh, in some of his run plays to get open because as soon as they got everyone shifting left and they get Lamar against two linebackers and a safety, that's a touchdown. And he's shown that he can do that in the past with the 40, 50 yard runs. So I think that we'll see a lot of Lamar getting wide open in the field. And I think we'll, we'll get another one of Lamar's 40 yard touchdowns this game. Adam called that before last game. He called a 40 yard touchdown. He was right. So we'll see if he's right. Take it back. Please take it back. I don't, I don't think the Bills will lose this game, but I think it will be very high scoring because neither of these defenses will, will be able to stop the other offense. So I want to note one thing, then ask Abby a question, and then I want to let's we'll do some score predictions just to get a sense of what we're thinking. But the Colts completed 11 passes to tight ends just in the second half of that game. Mark Andrews is going to play a really big role in this game, and we know that he has drop problems. I think that like one or two drops for Mark Andrews either way could swing the game because if he actually catches all his passes, then I think that the Bills are going to have trouble defending that. And then, Abby, I want to ask you, how concerned are you about the possibility of Tyler Bass lining up a game-winning field goal and it drifting uh, wide right? Uh, well, you know, he's got his little eye paint on one side to help balance him out. He's actually played really well. I think it was the, he's the highest scoring rookie in the postseason was the stat that I saw. At the beginning of the, the year, he was definitely rocky. But I think since he's gotten his confidence, like he has the leg, it's completely just 
it um, shifting a little bit the wrong way. I'm hoping there's no wind. I know the weather in Buffalo is not looking that way, but he has the leg. He just has to, you know, kick it straight. It's not that hard. Just whoop. <laughs> but nervous. The Bills do not have a good history of game-winning field goals in the postseason. Yep. All right. Let's do some score predictions uh, before we let you guys both get out of here. Adam, what do you think? This is going to be a very high-scoring game. I'm going to go 42 to 35. No. 42 to 39. Buffalo? 42 to 39. Yeah, Buffalo, yeah. Buffalo on a, on a game winning <laughs> field goal by Tyler Bass. <laughs> That's a lot of points. Abby, what do you think? I assume you're picking Buffalo, but maybe you don't want to jinx it. So let's see. I'm going to pick Buffalo. I'm going to go 45 to 39. I just got to, I got to one up Adam. I'm just going to copy you, but add game. three. <laughs> This sounds like a game-winning touchdown where they have no need to kick the extra point because the game's over as time expires. And um, Bill's Mafia will be on the field already. Oh, my God. They're going to set up tables <laughs> and just jump from the stands. All right, so I'm going to go a little contrarian from you guys. I don't know. I think that I really like Buffalo in this game. And I think that if Josh Allen is if Josh Allen is able to be who he's been for most of the year, they'll win. I think it's going to be a slightly lower-scoring game. Abby, you mentioned that the weather's going to be bad. I think that the Ravens running the ball so much is going to slow the game down a little bit. I think Buffalo is completely incapable of running the ball. And that's not even mentioning that Zach Moss is out for the season. So I think that they're going to be a little bit more one-dimensional. I think it's still going to be a very close game. I think like 30 to 27 Ravens. But again, very close game could go either way. Yeah, it's going to be, that's definitely going to be the game of the week. And then we're, we're either going to get a Ravens Chiefs matchup or a Bills Chiefs matchup. Either way, it's going to be a fun game. Yep. Abby, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Uh, if of course. we'll have you on, we'll definitely need to have you on at some point to talk about the bills at another time, but thank you so much of for joining course. us today. If they win this Saturday, I would love to come again. If not, don't speak to me for like three weeks and then we'll good. Fair enough. We will bring you on for the off season. If that happens. Thanks again to Abby for talking with us. What really interested me about this weekend, Adam, was that when we came into it, we said there were two games that should be good games on paper, but we've already seen twice before this season. So it's not that exciting. And I think that those two games were the single most unexpected results of the entire weekend. So let's start with the Seahawks-Rams. This game was really ugly. It was really gross, but also uh, really interesting in what it signifies for both the Rams' future and the Seahawks' future. And even though we don't have that much time to talk about the Seahawks right now, I do want to get into it. Adam, what do you think went wrong with the Seahawks in that game beyond like the obvious everything? Well, yeah. So, so the the most obvious example of just a a poor management of the game and awareness was that throw to DK Metcalf, which was picked off by Darius Williams and taken back for a touchdown. I, I thought that that was a very poor decision by by Russell. And although it was tough to see in that situation, he's been there so many times. He's got to he's got to be aware that that it's it's covered. I'm going to disagree with you there briefly because I think that Russ made a lot of bad decisions in this game. I think he had a terrible game and you can pin some of that on Brian Schottenheimer, who just to note was fired like 10 minutes before we started recording. So we can talk about that. That play, I don't think you can pin on Russ because when you have a screen, you don't check out of a screen. You just throw the screen. I mean, like the whole point is that you have the defenders on the line of scrimmage and that you get your blocks. It was in a bunch formation. There's two other receivers there. I think that that play is just an absolute testament to what Brandon Staley has done. That team is so incredibly well coached. Darius Williams knew that DK Metcalf was one. He was annoyed. 
and two, that they couldn't get the ball to him when he had Jalen Ramsey on him. So he thought if they set up this bunch formation, they're going to throw a screen to him. And he jumped that. I think next gen stats said that it was the first interception on a screen pass this entire season. Like that is just absolutely incredible game planning and awareness by a Rams defense that played his ass off and is just incredibly well coached. And so that's why I say that there's a lot of things to criticize Russ for. I don't think that's necessarily one of them. I think that that's something you really have to just give all the credit in the world to Brandon Staley for. Yeah. Well, we, we just didn't see that, that extraordinary gear that he normally puts in when he gets into the playoffs, that extra sensory. I know he's there. I'm not going to make that throw. I feel like Russ tends to have that almost ethereal vibe when he gets into the playoffs. Uh, and he didn't have that this game. He looked he looked lost. He looked like he didn't know what to do against a very good defense. And he was out coached and he didn't get help from his offensive coaching either. But I, I didn't I didn't like what I saw out of Russ. I think a couple of different things are true. I think that Russ was really bad in this game. I also think that Brian Schottenheimer had some really bad play calls in this game. Like I don't think either of them was good. I think that they're both at fault. Russell Wilson finished the day with a negative 0.38 EPA per play. He had a completion percentage over expectation of negative 15%. He wasn't hitting any throws to the intermediate area. And so, as you said, like the Seahawks were essentially praying. They spent that entire game praying for Russ magic, like Russ playoff magic. And it didn't come except for the DK touchdown. So it was a poorly schemed game. It was a poorly executed game. There's a lot of blame to go around. And with Brian Schottenheimer gone, the Seahawks are going to run the ball so much next year. And like the thing is that I think they actually do need to run the ball some more because if Russell Wilson isn't willing to take some of the shots that we know that are available against cover two, you check into a run. That's fine. But I am concerned about what that might mean for the Seahawks future with Pete Carroll probably steering the offense next year, even if you won't be calling the plays. And again, that's probably a, a topic for another time. But that is something that I've been thinking about a lot, especially after seeing the news that Schottenheimer was fired. Yeah, so so and they have to play the Rams twice more every year from now on. So th- that's going to be a matchup to look out for, just to really test Russ to see if they're they're making advances because this is this is probably the best defense in football right now because they they had the least amount of yards allowed per game this year, um, least points scored against them per game this year. They've been well coached all year, and I think this is just a testament to that. Without and with, that's, this is the crazy part. Without Aaron Donald for most of this game, they, they managed to maintain pressure on the quarterback, lock down Tyler Lockett to force him to make one-handed crutches, and to just overall shut down a Seahawks offense, which it might not be, which might not be seen with 20 points, but that's still like, for, for how that game went with them having the ball 90% of the time was huge. Yeah, I think today's performance earned Brandon Staley a head coaching job. Yes, easily. I can't say for sure it'll happen just because one, the league is skewing so much toward offensive coaches that like it's always hard for a defensive coach to get a to get a head coaching job. And secondly, he just is very inexperienced, so that might uh, shy teams away. But what he's done is so impressive. And as you mentioned, without Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald looks like he's going to be playing this week, which is great for just everyone because we all love to watch Aaron Donald. But Robert Mays from the Athletic tweeted this earlier today: Aaron Donald in a possible 112 weeks. Over seven seasons, he's been questionable twice, two times, and he played in both those games. That's absolutely ridiculous. That, that doesn't surprise me at all. If that one, if there's one player in the league that that wouldn't surprise me on, it's Aaron Donald. He is a beast of nature. 
there was a story that I read back when I was like nine and like Sports Illustrated kids about how uh, like certain players in the NFL were being replaced by like aliens. If that was Aaron Donald, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, we've talked a lot about their defense, but seeing seeing John Walford get carted off the field was obviously awful. And do we know his condition? Is he is he? I think he's. I mean, I think he's okay. I think he's probably stable, but I don't think he's starting any more games for the rest of the season. Oh, for sure, he's he's definitely out for the season now. He was looking pretty decent, actually. Obviously, not in this game. We have we didn't see much, but at least last game he started to get his legs involved. He started to look like an actual quarterback, unlike Jared Goff, and it it really sucks to see that. But we saw the slack being picked up by not a hundred percent Cam Akers immensely. A hundred and seventy six scrimmage yards in this game. He broke Eric Dickerson's record for most scrimmage yards in a playoff game by a rookie. He was insane. So he's going to be a guy to look out for next year. Yeah. So here's the thing. The Rams won this game, but now they go into a game against the Packers <laughs> with Aaron Donald oh, and Cooper Cup, both expected to play, but both of them banged up. Jared Goff, probably still not nearly at 100%. Like we saw what his thumb looked like, uh, and it was clearly affecting his ability to throw. Their single biggest play of the day was a ball that he badly missed through, and Cooper Cup just made a huge play on. He was slinging it like Philip Rivers. <laughs> oh man, I love Philip Rivers. But um, <laughs> I want to know what you think the Rams, what the Rams' chances are against the Packers this week, because I think it's a matchup of great defense against great offense, and great offense usually wins. But what do you think the Rams' chances are? I am more confident that the Rams lose this game than the Browns lose to the Chiefs. Whew. That is spicy. They're playing in 27 degree weather, and that's the high. In Lambeau Field, obviously no fans, but like still, or they might have some fans. Either way, it doesn't matter. Not a lot of fans. In that atmosphere, the Packers thrive, and the Rams, who have been playing in LA all season, will fail. And I think that without everyone at 100%, they will get mauled. I think that this will be a very one sided game. Interesting, because I think it might be a lower scoring game than we expect. I'm very curious to see how much of Jalen Ramsey we get against Devontae Adams. And I just assume Devontae Adams will win some matchups and Ramsey will win a lot of others. Like, that's just how it works. They're both just superstars. They haven't really faced each other since I think it was like one of the first couple games of Ramsey's career. And Devontae Adams was barely a starter at that point in his career. So we know nothing about their history against each other. But the shadow uh, effect should be interesting because... Jalen Ramsey shadowed DK Metcalf on around 70% of plays this week. And nearly all of Metcalf's production came on the plays where he wasn't covered by Ramsey. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Ramsey on nearly 100% of it, like nearly 100% of the time on Devontae Adams. And I think that he can take out Devontae Adams out of the game a lot, which I think that puts a lot of the onus uh, to create offensive production on Aaron Jones, Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez Scantling. Like, do you think those guys can pick up that slap? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I do. And I think that Aaron Rodgers can pick up that slack. I don't really think that it'll be a specific wide receiver blowing out a cornerback. I think Aaron Rodgers turns into another animal in the playoffs. Obviously, we didn't see it with Russ, but he will figure something out, whether it's whether Devontae Adams being locked up or not. Robert Tunyon is huge in the middle of the field. Marcus Valdez-Scantling has, has made some big plays throughout the season. He'll figure it out. Also, you got Aaron Jones in the backfield. That that offense is stacked, and I think that they'll, they'll be just fine, especially when they have the ball like most of the game. So two things I think that we should actually see a lot in this game from the Packers offense. One, 
I think we should see a lot of play action because the Rams linebackers aren't very good. And the Packers have really thrived on play action because play action makes everyone better. And then when you just add it to Aaron Rodgers um, and his ability to manipulate defenses and just really always make the right read, perfect matchup. Like I think that they'll use a lot of play action in this game. Secondly, I think that we should actually see more of the Packers run game. Because one, as you mentioned, the weather's going to be bad. Um, wouldn't surprise me if it snows. I don't think it's forecasted to snow at all. Okay. It, well, that's, that's it's good. To, yeah. It's supposed to snow this week and then clear up before the game. Great. Honestly, that makes it better for everyone watching just because it, it gives the Rams a better chance to pass. Yeah. The Packers have a really good offensive line. They're missing David Bakhtiari, obviously. But the Rams' run defense is entirely predicated around getting the right angles because of how they focus on the pass and uh, play a lot of light boxes, playing at a too high. And they've been efficient doing that. But I think if the Packers are hunting for it, they can exploit some of those angles and open some holes for Aaron Jones with some really good players and like Elton Jenkins, Corey Lindsley, both on the inside and just get some stuff going on the ground and then use that to exploit vulnerabilities in the pass game. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they'll win this game through the short field, not not through the big plays. Although I think it's inevitable to have an Aaron Rodgers game without a deep throw to like one of his wide receivers somewhere in the game. I don't think that's what's going to win it. I think it's going to be the they're underneath. Yep. Uh, the only thing that I would be concerned about as a Packers fan, you don't have David Bakhtiari. Aaron Donald. Yeah. Well, I will be curious to see if they line up Aaron Donald on the outside. I don't think they'll do it all that much just because, I, I mean, he can win against anyone. It doesn't really matter. I think that what we will see is Leonard Floyd against uh, probably Billy Turner or whoever his replacement is. And I, I mean, like, it's just going to matter a lot. Like David Bakhtiari is already one of the highest paid tackles, maybe the highest paid tackle in the league. He's sixth in pass block win rate, 10th in run block win rate. He's blown four blocks all year. But he's the best offensive tackle in the league. Yeah, maybe slightly debatably, but absolutely way up there. And like, it's just not even close to debatable. And so even if it doesn't cost them in this game because the Rams can't muster any offense, it should be interesting to see at least how it affects their offense in advance of their game against them either the Bucks or the Saints next week. It should it should matter against both of them. Yeah, I, I personally think this will be very one-sided, but obviously that's a variable factor that I don't know much about. We saw we saw with, with the Cleveland game coming up that, who knows, even the third string of offensive linemen that the quarterbacks meet in the locker room before the game can show up and play. Yep. Well, let's talk a little bit about Cleveland, actually. Let's go to the Brown-Steelers game first, and then we'll talk about the uh, Brown-Chiefs. First thing I noticed in this game was, well, beyond the obvious, like, absolute ridiculousness of everything that happened in this game, Baker Mayfield looked bad. It wasn't the end of the world because they didn't need him to do all that much because they were already up by so much so fast. But he what, was pressured. Josh? But he had three touchdowns and a 115 passer rating. Honestly, oh, my God. He was literally pressured <laughs> zero times with two backups in the game. He was blitzed on more than half of his dropbacks, and he wasn't touched. If you look at his pass chart, Everything was short. He completed more passes behind the line of scrimmage than he did more than 10 yards downfield. And so I think that some of this was a product of Kevin Stefanski uh, being out. Some of this was a product of being up two scores the entire game. Could have been other things. Like, he got the ball out incredibly fast all game. I can't really fault him for that. Like, they didn't want to end a bunch of drives on three outs. They wanted to just run the clock. They were basically running a four-minute offense the entire game. But he's going to need to play so much better if they want to have any chance of beating the Chiefs. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think he he didn't show anything impressive. He looked like he was just trying to fill the role instead of trying to exceed with the role he was giving. Like, sure, what can you say? They they scored 48 points. They they won the game. That wasn't because of him. If they didn't have four turnovers and defensive points, 
they might not have had such an easy easy path to success. And if the Steelers hadn't punted on multiple four and ones, uh, it might have been a closer game. But I just think that if Baker wants to win against the insane Chiefs offense, he's got to score a lot of points and score them quickly. And he was given some like really easy situations on a couple cases, like some play calls by the Steelers were incredibly strange. I think on at least one occasion, maybe more, uh, Jarvis Landry's matched up in the slot against a linebacker on third down. You just saw a lot of crossing routes open up over the middle uh, on like critical downs where the Steelers absolutely needed to stop. And he was just able to hit a guy running open. So I think that Baker can play better. And I think that he's going to need to step up to the task against the Chiefs. And I'm not saying that he can't. Again, I really think it's really hard to like judge what he did in this game when he was asked to do so little because nothing that he did mattered when the other quarterback <laughs> threw four picks and had a ball go over his head for a touchdown. There was very little that he really needed to do. But for them to have any chance of winning, which I think is very slim, Baker's going to need to step up. And also, he had plenty of time to make these decisions. The, the Pittsburgh defense showed a dearth of pressure. And I think that that is just something that he won't get against the Chiefs. Yeah. So this game is probably the end of an era for the Steelers. Uh, I think that this team is going to come back very different. But we can get to that over the offseason. I mean, they've got a lot of free agents. There's a lot to talk about for them and what yeah. they're going to look like. They've got some big decisions to make at quarterback. There is nothing sadder than watching Maurice Pouncey or Marquis, no, Maurice Pouncey uh, walk over to Ben on the heated bench after the game and just start crying because you, he, he felt so sad. He felt so bad for that snap on the first play of the game. And I, you just got to feel for him. That If that's your last game, that's not what you want to be remembered for. Yeah, agreed. This game that we're going to see Browns Chiefs maybe the beginning of an era. I don't think it is. First of all, because I don't I don't believe in Baker. Um which means I think that the Browns are going to need to reboot in a couple of years. For this game to go the Browns' way, the only way that happens is if they can slow the game down in my opinion. I don't know I don't know if you disagree, but I think that the only way for them to win is to run the ball, limit possessions because as soon as they're down and it, they can go down really fast when you're playing against Patrick Mahomes. It's like playing the Death Star Warriors, where like you just blink and they've gone on like a 14 to nothing run. It's that simple. But as soon as the runs are down, like the play action and the run game goes out the window and it nullifies like what may be their only advantage in this game. Because their offensive line was great against the Steelers. Wyatt Teller was mauling guys. But if they don't have that advantage and they can't control the ground game essentially and control the trenches, it's over for them. I don't know if that's the only way they can win. A couple of snaps over the head could help them too. A couple of fumbles, a couple of interceptions. Actually, not interceptions. They're playing Patrick Mahomes. That's not going to happen. But a couple, a couple of fumbles. Who knows? Any, any. It's it's football. Anything can happen. But really, if it's a, if it's you got to have more than a two score lead heading into the fourth quarter if you want to win this game because it's the Chiefs in the fourth quarter and no lead to see. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. I think that basically the Chiefs are going to win this game unless either Baker oh, plays yeah. out of his mind or like the Browns get all the breaks that they got against the Steelers. And I don't think the Chiefs are going to make those mistakes. That That's yeah. the thing. Like, I think that the Browns are a solid team, but their defense sucks. They're not going to slow down uh, Mahomes at all. And I think that their offense probably isn't good enough, especially with some of the missing pieces. If they get Betonio back and Stefanski is coming back, maybe they have a better chance. Yeah. And, and adding Denzel Ward back is not going to stop Tyreek Hill. I know if anyone thinks that you're, you're dumb, uh, he's a different kind of wide receiver that doesn't just get stopped by the traditional quarterback. It's really going to come down to whether the Browns get lucky or not. Well, for the record, they do desperately need Denzel Ward back though, just because. Oh, for sure. No, no, no. But just because 
Robert Jackson is going on IR, which is which is just really sad because Robert Jackson was picked on mercilessly for two weeks in a row by the Steelers. And so if he's the he, if he was a shorter, who's behind him? If, if Taylor like, Heineke, <laughs> when, he was signing, when he was signing up for all the backup roles, that was just on the list. I mean, he, he they might need him because like I honestly don't know what's behind Robert Jackson. So yeah, they need Denzel Ward back badly. That's a question you have to ask. And you already got like Hatch playing left guard. I think that you need to figure that out. Yeah, they need to win this game. They need Joe Batonio back, which we don't know if he'll be back. They need Jack Conklin to be healthy. He's day-to-day with a hamstring injury currently. Like there's just so many things that the Browns need to go right. And I think it was similar against the Steelers, although less so because those teams are slightly more evenly matched. I mean, you're playing the Chiefs now that... I just think that so many things need to break right that I think that their chances of winning are really slim. Like, there isn't that much to say. It's Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I think the Browns will score a couple of times. Kareem Hunt's on his revenge tour against the Chiefs. You can't call it a revenge tour. I don't I don't want to call it that, but that's what he said. Oh, uh, really? So, Ugh. yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, I think that it'll be a little bit more fun of a game than the Rams game, but I think it'll be equally as bad for the loser. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you want to do some score predictions for the four games this week? Ooh, okay, let's go for it. Which game do you want to start with? Let, let's start with the the more one sided games. Let's let's go backwards. Let's go with the let's go with the Browns Chiefs first. Okay, Chiefs forty, Browns twenty four. I'll go Chiefs forty four, <laughs> Browns thirty. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like, I think that if the, if the Browns are scoring 30, they're scoring it on the ground, which is why I think that the game slows down. Yeah. I, but I can't say for sure. All right. I think the Packers-Rams game is actually going to be really low scoring. As good as Rodgers is, I think that the Rams are going to slow it down and at least cost them a couple possessions. So I'm going to say this screams like a 24-10 to 10 game to me. Uh, I'm thinking more Packers 36, Rams 6. Ooh, wow. You think they score 6? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't seen anything out of golf to think otherwise. So fair enough. Bucks Saints, what do you got for me, Adam? Bucks Saints. That that one's a lot tougher. Because as I said, it's gonna be one sided either way. I want I want to just give like a one sided score and say I'm not gonna choose a winner and a loser, but that's not fair. So I'll say Saints twenty seven, Bucks twenty. I think it's Saints thirty, Bucks. 14. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Or like Bucks 21. I, I feel a little weird betting against their offense, but I, I really do have a lot of faith in the Saints defense at the very and least. And if there's the pressure, term. then then that's a very smart bet. Yeah. We already got our score predictions from the Bills uh from the Bills Ravens game with Abby. So you guys already saw those. Adam, anything else you want to do before we get out of here? No, just everyone enjoy football while it's here. Remember how boring it was before it was here. Uh and enjoy your quarantine. No, no, that's a terrible way to end it. Football's a great way to take your mind off the queue. <laughs>